Welcome, Patreon subscribers. This is the very first episode of a little program uh, we're going to call The Facts of Geek Life. I am the titular Charlie Carden, uh, leading you on this segment where we're going to talk about a classic, sometimes a modern, television series. We're going to take a season of that series, and we're going to pick four or five episodes, and we're going to break them down uh, with the overall thought process. Are some great? Are some bad? Think about that classic sitcom that we kind of hornswoggled the name from. You take the good, you take the bad, uh, you take something, something, there you have the facts of geek life. Anyway, uh, I am here today with a very old buddy of mine, new to the Secret Friends Unite podcast network in general. Mr. Jonathan Snedeker has been a friend of mine for a very long time. We worked together uh, almost 15 years ago at the Grand Rapids Press here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Jonathan, good morning. Hey, how are you? I'm doing all right. Well, anytime that we have somebody on the show, uh, on the normal show, I should say, we kind of toss them into the fray and get them to tell them a little bit about how you got into the geek life, the, the genre hood. So tell me a little bit about how you got rolling with, with all of this. Well, as a, as a child of the 60s and 70s, um, I was around for the launch of Star Wars, and uh, I have to admit, I did go and see uh, those films in the theater back when they were Ooh, in the theater. Yeah, nice. And, uh, so caught the first runs of those. Um, always liked the Star Trek series uh, from the 1960s because um, I was already on the planet by then, and television <laughs> was very new, and I loved television. So um, I got into it early, but I didn't get serious about being more involved uh, on a personal level until um, I ran into this fellow named Charlie Carden. Who, that, who's that guy? Oh, my. So um, you've kind of heightened not only my awareness, but my involvement in getting into doing more around this. And I'm excited to be on your, uh, your podcast here, um, and uh, I'm looking forward to sharing what I know, uh, uh, whether it be somewhat limited or rather expansive, because I did live through some of this uh, as a kid, um, and uh, happy to be here. So Awesome. Good yeah. deal. Well, as I said, we're, we're taking a season of a show, a uh, television program in the genre world. We're going to start with something classic. So this one was actually uh, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Snedeker, of course, is his name. A lot of people call him Sned. You'll probably hear me say that here. But it, this was Sned's pick. Uh, we started talking about the uh, classic science fiction adventure show from 1979 that would be Buck Rogers in the 25th century. We're going to be talking about the first season, which we said Ed, uh, aired on on NBC in the 1979 to 1980 season, uh, started out with a pilot uh, that was actually released as a theatrical film. This would have been cool to see in the theaters. Was that anything that was on your radar back then, Jonathan? Well, uh, you know, I, I probably went and saw it in the theaters, but it wasn't very memorable for me. I mean, Star Wars was uh, getting all the hype, and uh, so that was uh, much more on my radar. Uh, but uh, um, I did watch a television series. I do remember sitting down and watching it. I would have been a, like a senior in high school. Oh, my. Okay. And, and as you know, as a senior in high school, you just got a lot of things going on. Yep. You know? By then I had a car, you know, and I had a pretty hot set of wheels. I had a 71 Camaro. So <laughs> I, I, was, oh, I was tooling around and dating girls. And just, oh, my. And, and actually I was dating who is now my wife, Tracy. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I, and, uh, I so love we, it. Yeah, so we sort of came out of the 80s together. Um, but I do remember the Buck Rogers TV show, and um, I do remember watching it with my brothers, and uh, we got a kick out of it. Um, 
I, I think that it's one of those sci-fi shows that is shouldn't be taken seriously. I think it's a, it's a fun <laughs> genre of the space world, and uh, I've always sort of treated it as such. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to be talking about the first season because I like the first season a lot better than the second season. Well, and I know that we have plans to potentially dig into the second season. We might actually bring in um, the biggest Buck Rogers fan on the Secret Friends Unite Network. That would be my longtime podcasting partner, Todd Oxtra. So I'm trying to talk him into joining us for season two, but we'll see what happens. But uh, anyway, briefly about the series before we uh, start talking about the five selected episodes, or the four, four and a half, because one of them was a two-parter, that were selected by Mr. Snedeker. Um, This series was a follow-up after the, the... the sad failure of Battlestar Galactica created by uh, Glenn A. Larson. He was joined by Leslie Stevens to bring Buck Rogers, who was a comic strip, a serial film character from the 1920s uh, on into the modern age. So, all right, let's get started um, talking about the first episode that you selected. I will be happy to read the summary. And then Jonathan, if you want to jump in and then I'll give some notes as well. And we can even give it like a little micro rating at the end, if that sounds good to you. As yeah, we, that as sounds we, really good. As we move through this. So, okay. Episode number one is Return of the Fighting 69th. Giggle, giggle. <laughs> Just terrible. Uh, Buck and Wilma, who is, you know, the the female lead of the series, pursue notorious gun runners Commander Corliss and Roxanne Trent, who are planning on dropping deadly nerve agents on uh, from the 20th century on Earth. Very briefly, premise of the series, Buck Rogers was a NASA astronaut who flew his space shuttle Ranger 3 uh, into Earth in the year 1987. There was a glitch. He got frozen and he came back. 500 years later and very easily integrates into this new society, which is a vastly post-war earth where the capital of earth is Chicago. I wonder if, I wonder if someone who wrote the series was from Chicago, you think? Yeah. Well, they call it new (laughs) Chicago. So I'm just going to put that in there. Right. Yeah. Right. New Chicago, like new Amsterdam, New York. Yeah. Um, So anyway, a squadron of elderly space fighters led by Major Noah Cooper, who were forced to retire, are brought back into active service so they can lead the attack on the criminal's asteroid base. Because of their age, Wilma has doubts about the squadron's reliability, but Noah's team departs to prove that they still have what it takes and get the mission done. Uh, during the attack, Buck and Wilma are captured and Corliss, uh, captured by Corliss and Trent, who both show horrible scars from injuries. Horrible. Yes, that they received from Wilma in a previous confrontation. Woo! All right, Jonathan, you're up. Let's talk. Yeah, so it's sort of a revenge uh, episode where um, Deering, who um, had to uh, attempt to capture Corliss and Trent, ended up blowing them up. And uh, so, Whoops. So they caught fire. Trent loses a hand. Corliss loses uh, pretty much most of the skin on his body. But uh, basically, you see his face. And he... He wears this odd headgear, which I never could quite figure out. Uh, <laughs> right. as, as, as I, I love the claw. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so between the two of them, they're, they're in pretty rough shape. Um, I, I think some of the things that are worth uh, noting for this particular episode is it has the regular cast, which is nice. So, so you have Gil Gerard and you have Aaron Gray, uh, Tim O'Connor, Mel Blanc. And then um, who, who doubles up? He does the voice of Tweaky. And then you got Felix Silla who is um, Tweaky in, 
in right. in body and spirit, right? Body and then you, and, and then you have Eric Server who does the voice of Doctor Theopolis, and and the, mm-hmm. these are the reoccurring folks that you see throughout the series uh, in that first season. So, um, uh, one of the things uh, about the plot too is that th- these. Uh, these Corliss and Trent are gun runners. Uh, so that's kind of their crime is, and, and what they're trying to do is gather up a lot of nerve gas so they can spray the world, right? Right. Planet, planet earth and wipe sounds, it out. Sounds easy to do. Spray the world. <laughs> because they're, they're mad at uh, Colonel Deering. You know, that's really their motivation. So, um, you know, one of the things about, um, and this comes up a lot, so this word will probably come up a few more times, but campy, it seems to be the word to describe Buck Rogers. And uh, we're, we're not the only ones that use that to describe it. Um, so it's it's really meant to be fun. It's really not to be taken seriously. Um, and um, one of the things about this particular episode is it brings back some folks that we haven't seen maybe in a while. Like, you know, we've got Peter Graves in there. Uh, who, who, hey Billy, hey who has aged faster than any human being on earth because he looks way older than he is. I mean, he looks like he's in his late sixties. I think he's in his mid fifties in this episode. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Pe- people lived hard and fast back in those days, you know. They they did. And uh they they also have some other uh folks like Woody Strode who plays Big Red which mm-hmm. actually was a chewing gum that had been launched around. That <laughs> they needed a follow on character called major league chew. That's what yeah. I think. Big yeah. league chew. Was it, wasn't that a big old wad of bubble gum? Yes. Yes. That, that came in a, in a shredded form. So you could pop it in your mouth, like chewing right. tobacco. Yeah. Oh, delightful. Yeah. So, but some other characters that are kind of fun. Eddie Firestone is in it. He plays uh, Schultz. He's a corporal and he's kind of, um, <laughs> Like on, to, like on Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's trying to make the mission work. And um, what they do is they take these old um, delivery shuttles, these 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 old, they're just basically empty shells of uh, spacecraft. Like, like a UPS fan, yeah, right? Yeah, and they trick them out with these big guns, uh, and they put them on the tail so they can shoot down all these um these war uh, fighters that they've got to run into when they try to storm the planet. But I mean, it's, it's a good episode. I really enjoy it because there is some, some interesting camaraderie between the characters. Um, we learned that Wilma Deering has a nickname, Colonel Deering. Uh, they call her Dizzy D and it comes up a lot in the episode, which is kind of fun. It's a, it's a rap name before rap was really popularized from about, from about the whitest woman that you can imagine. Now, I, I do want to take note that this is the only episode where she gets called Dizzy D. So it's not much of a nickname. Right. It just does not stick. Yeah, it's exactly. It's not a reoccurring nickname, right? Yeah. Right. So, um, but, but there are some things that are kind of fun. Um, one of the things about the sets, uh, is, you know, um, a lot of it is that recycled, uh, Battlestar Galactica. Set. Totally. Yeah. And, and that's all the, all the ADR, all the ADR and the sound effects are, it's the same pew, pew, pew noise from <laughs> BSG. Yeah. yeah. And the explode, they use the same like five explosion effects. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so in this, uh, some of the things that I sort of stick out to me is that uh, when they when they go to the bar to first meet up with these uh, old retired, <laughs> which were forced into retirement, um, right? Fighter by pilots. Wilma, by Wilma, that yeah, was the and that Wilma. was a big sticking point. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they go through these plastic curtains that you just can't help but notice. I mean, it's like <laughs> it's like shredded plastic. 
separating the party room from the I, from the main bar. You know? it, it, it Chuck E. Cheese, yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh yeah. man, it's pretty early in the series for them to have you know no budget, but <laughs> here we are. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then and then another thing about the sets, and 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 once you notice it, you can't help but notice it uh, throughout the series. They did this thing with capital and lowercase letters, and they would combine them into a weird combination. So, like, you'd have in the middle of a word some capital letters, and then it'd go back to lowercase. <laughs> and it was just, It's the what, future. That's what, why. <laughs> and it's one of those things, once you see it, uh, you know, and it's all over the place in the series. They put it, signs on everything so you know what they're doing, right? Um, right. And uh, so one thing in particular, the word emergency, right? You have mer in the middle of it in all caps, <laughs> you know? So, so, so you have to kind of watch for that, and then it's one of those things. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Oh my God, I had n- I had no idea. No, and it, it's kind of funny. Um, a couple of the funny comments they make in this too is, um, you know, the 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 um, the fighting 69th, right? This group of older <laughs> older crony, you know, old, old pilots that are trying to prove themselves that they're still viable. Um, Retirement age is eighty five. In in <laughs> well, you know, when when people in the twenty fifth century probably lived to be three hundred years old, that that yeah. seems young. Because yeah, just think about you know medical innovation since you know the going on forty five years since this show was on. You know, people are living to be a hundred and right. getting body parts replaced and stuff. So yeah, age eighty five would eighty five would be the new like twenty five. Yeah, yeah. It sort of surprises Buck because he's like, they don't look a day over sixty, you know. And right, you know, except, well, except for Peter Graves. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we, the, we have a new retirement age in the in the in the, the later centuries. Uh, so eighty five seems to be the age, right? So uh, that's right. That's something you might pick up on. Um, there is a funny part in one of the scenes where they're they're flying their shuttles in, and and uh, Schultz offers Big Red. A, a piece of gum to calm his nerves as they go into the battle. Right? Oh they no! Have, they're going to bomb the planet, and and Wilma and Buck are held prisoner on the planet, and um, they're afraid they're going to bomb them. Right? Mm-hmm. And, but fortunately, Buck and Wilma escape before they bomb the planet. But, but of he, course. But going back to this, I, I think it's sort of ironic that uh, Schultz hands Big Red a piece of gum. Right. Everybody and, knows. And it's, Everybody it's, knows it's that's a, a it's a red piece of gum and he calls it a piece of pacifier. They don't call it gum. <laughs> I mean maybe it's, you know, it's uh, infused with whiskey or maybe it's like an edible. Think I don't about know, it. but, the, but the, tw- the both of them are chewing it as they go into battle. So I thought, well, if you're going to call somebody Big Red, you might as well yeah. have some chewing gum in there too. I think it maybe maybe it's product placement. I don't know. Maybe I guess. Oh my gosh, that's absolutely it. All right. Uh, some thoughts. I mean, you, you touched on all the and, and you took very extensive notes too. I just kind of took notes yeah. where I was just riffing. But you know, I th- this episode was a lot of fun. It did do a lot of the classic tropes that you see in almost any drama series. First of all, I loved what did I call him claw lady. And, uh, uh, I don't, I don't know what I called, uh, the husband, but yeah, he was like Freddy Krueger and she was like, and then he had the flame on that reminded me of like, uh, you know, Dr. Dr. Claw from Kentucky fried movie. I'm, I'm sure you know the one I'm talking about. Right. Probably nobody else will get this, but God, I love that dumb, dumb series. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, my goodness, Wilma, Wilma always blows my mind with her makeup and her heels. And I'll, I'll touch upon that more as we get into uh, talking about the other episodes. She is always so put together in any damn situation. Um, but yeah, the, the, we, we did have, yeah, you know, kind of the buddy cop speech where um, Peter Graves' character and Wilma uh, know each other from the past. It's almost kind of, you know, he's like a big brother father figure you kind of get some kind of weird sexual vibe in there so i don't know but maybe i always look for that kind of stuff because i'm a bad guy but uh <laughs> we also didn't touch upon um the slave girl who's right. deaf who, that we, yeah, yeah right that we found out which is i said you know that's my ex-wife's name why couldn't she have been mute that would have been great uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's really great we find out that buck knows asl which is awesome yeah so he's able to talk to her and uh, then at the end of it it's revealed that 25th century technology has a cure for deafness which once this girl is rescued at the end of the series she's reunited right. with her parents right. who i called space mon pa walton because they both look very country right. and uh they take it and they get her uh sewn up uh last thing i'll mention and this applies to almost every uh, episode we're going to talk about, is that whoever writes Twiggy's tweet, I keep, keep calling him Twiggy, but I know it's Tweaky. Whoever yeah. writes Mel Blanc's sides is, is, is it's like the Gronometer 101, because in this episode, he gets in one last singer, and I should have written down what it was, but it was it was one of those where everybody starts laughing, and then that's the like, ha <laughs> right at the end. So I love it. All right, quick, quick rating, one out of 10, uh, one out of 10 pew pews. What do you give it? Well, uh, this one, um, I think, you know, we touched on some of the things that are, are kind of fun about it, um, but it's not really high on my list. Okay. Um, you know, um, I think the plot is sort of mediocre at best. It's like an yeah. overused Western kind of thing. It's like, we got the dynamite, we're going to blow up the mine. So I, I <laughs> kind of like, so I put this at more like a six. I didn't look to see what the ratings were on some of these things, but yeah. You know, it, yeah, you know, I hear you. My, my personal rating on this is, um, yeah, six out of ten. You know, it's it's not what I would consider a standout. It probably got a higher score. Yeah, uh, from folks, just because it has some pretty cool elements to it. I like the fact that we find out that Buck can do sign language. Yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty it's a, it's a pretty important ad. But much like in in some of you expressing the era, it never comes up again unless it comes up in season two or one of the other episodes right. we didn't watch. But I no, somehow but, I doubt but it. I, I thought it added some value to the show. Um, yeah, so, you know, I agree. On, on that point, you know, maybe six and a half stars. Okay, I always and it drives extra nuts. I always like to give ratings in fractions. So I'll be like, this is like a six point seven three to me. Uh, <laughs> Which you know what? I'll you know what? I'll go with that. I think I think yeah. in the six range is good. Um, there's some great parts of the series, but again, yeah, much like that. In the next episode, we're gonna touch. It's very literally kind of western western light. Like, yeah, tie the tie tie the lady to the to the tracks and, and dynamite the the mine. So right. you know the tracks blow up or whatever. So yeah, um, it, interesting for the add on. Uh, obviously, yeah, so we're pretty even on that one. Cause, yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Um, one one last thought before we move on to the next thing is. Um, I, I did a little research, and uh, her father, Alicia's father, comes in like in the very last end of the show. Right, exactly. Yeah, Ma, it, Ma and Pa it, Walton. His name is um, Buzz Barbie. Uh, <laughs> He's got. And uh, let me guess, was he a Western guy? Uh, actually, he was in quite a bit of things as a as a side character. He really didn't ever have a major role, uh, but he was he was in. Season one, episode twenty-three of Star Trek, the original series. Ooh, that yeah, is the Aaron of Mercy. 
Yes, he was, he was Ambassador Fox's aide in that. Oh, one. that was the Taste of Armageddon. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, so anyway, in, in, so, in Mini R seven. Oh, that's so interesting. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so he does pop in again. So if you're looking for him, Bud yeah, Harvey. Yeah, I does, love it. I think I, up in other things. There's a great correlation when we get to the two part of the war, which when uh, with Julie Newmar, that there's a lot of Star Trek happening. So, all yeah. right, let's move on. Episode two is Unchained Woman. My, my, my. Uh, posing as a prisoner named Valzon, uh, Buck has been taken into a penal colony on Zeta Minor where he springs a female inmate named Jen Burton. Not a very futuristic sounding name, but whatever. The young woman has taken the blame for crimes committed by her boyfriend, Mallory Pantera, not the rock band, uh, and Earth's directorate wants her to testify against him. However, she still loves Pantera. Of course, and refuses to cooperate. And Pantera happens to have a business associate back on Earth, a Zayton diplomat whose involvement could be exposed once she testifies. Meow, meow, meow. Furthermore, they have to cross a desert on foot, of course, to succeed uh, to uh, to succeed to the nearest spaceport, and are being followed by an android prison guard. My favorite part of this episode: damage during the prison break. Oh my God. Jonathan, where do we even start? I'm, I'm going to let you start. I'm going to let you do it like you did it last time because I think you nailed it. Sure. Well, you know, uh, the usual cast of characters, they're all uh, there. Um, so we have all of the usuals from Buck Rogers. Um, and uh, like you said, with the plot, you know, uh, here's a here's a girl who's imprisoned, right, on a co-ed, co-ed. <laughs> In one room with no yeah. bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> she's on Zeta Minor, which is a, a prison planet, right? Right. She's being held there and being blamed for the crimes of her boyfriend. Yes. Jamie, and, and and who who is it? Who is it? It's Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, a, a very young Jamie Lee Curtis. Right. After it, this would have been right after Halloween in 1978. Yeah, so, yeah. Post Halloween. It's like her. And it, it's like the only um, appearance of her in anything, movies or series. She probably was making movies at the time. But in 1979, that's it's the only thing she did. Uh, at that time, because it was post Halloween, they were probably ramping up for Halloween too, because you know they made a few of those. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So, so she she did this uh, this uh, Buck Rogers series as a way of staying active. Um, she does a great job in her role. I thought she pulled it off pretty well. You know, there's a couple of awkward moments for her, but overall, as an actress and and as someone that we like to see in things, um, I think it's definitely enhances this particular episode to have her in it. Yeah. Um, and it is the only time that she appeared in the series. Uh, they, they do have some some other uh, folks. You mentioned the uh, the android that chases them. Oh, my uh, Buck, God. He's my favorite. He's Buck, awesome. Buck dubs him Hugo. <laughs> he says, you know, like when he arrives, he goes, yeah, he calls him Hugo. And he's like, my name isn't Hugo. And he says, well, it should be, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Ouch. So, so arrogant. You know, so then they refer to him as Hugo the rest of the the, the time that he's chasing after him and they have some fun. We, we do see some, some new things that we, we don't anticipate seeing like uh, these sand squids, right? Did you right. Nice, yeah. nice piece of foam rubber animation. I'm yeah, impressed. I, I don't remember sand squids in any other episode. So this is a unique opportunity. Maybe they're only on Zeta minor. I don't, I know. guess there yeah. you go. Yeah. They're, they're, they're not bred in captivity. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. So um, one of the one of the things that uh, sticks out in this, and it, and I think it's it, uh, I don't think we're the only ones that have noticed this, but there is a a, a goof when they first because uh, Buck goes undercover to go to this planet 
to get into the prison so he can spring Jamie Lee Curtis out. That's the whole plot, right? Right. We've got to, right, we've right. Got to, we've got to rescue her. Uh, she's stuck in prison. We're not going to go through the normal channels of trying to have her, you know, taken out through proper channels. We're just going to go get her. Right. So, so Buck, he's in the shuttle, and they're 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 planning him as a different prisoner, right? Well, one of the things that sort of sticks out is Buck is given this um, uh, pendant that he wears around his neck. <laughs> and one of the things about this pendant mm. is it keeps going in and out of his shirt and he doesn't move it. Like he puts it inside his shirt and then suddenly it's outside his shirt again. Then it's back inside his shirt again. Then it's out. There's, nobody's there's moving no, this pendant. So this sticks out in the early part of the show. And nobody's shirt shirt pendant continuity. Yeah. It's just but not going are, down. Yeah, those are kind of fun goofs, you know. Um, so this pendant is really important because when he arrives on the planet, uh, the first thing they do is they um, – they sort of disinfect him. They sort of put him in <laughs> I love that. Right? And it's like, we got to clean this guy up. And then I, I put that in my notes. I said, Buck is acting the shit out of that decontamination scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so whatever they're zapping him with. But, but they, he, he, um, when he arrives, Hugo takes this pendant and he puts it in what looks like an ashtray full of stuff. You know, like you remember the old cylinder ashtrays? Yeah, right. Sit next to put your keys in there, loose change. Yeah, and it's tall. It's probably you know three feet high off the floor, and it's 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 a round cylinder, and it's chrome. And he throws it in there, and Buck, you know, it's like he's the whole idea is to plant this pennant because it's going to explode, right? And that's what's going to create all the chaos so they can escape. And Hugo, when he takes the pendant from Buck, you know, Buck makes a comment about him taking it. And he, Hugo says this, which surprised me. He goes, do you like our filing system? <laughs> yes, it's going to be a real bang. hey I'm like, I'm like who, after he drops the pendant into this ashtray-looking thing, and then it explodes, and then they run out. So, so um, you know, I, I just found that odd that that – a robot would say something like that. Um, so the penal colony is co-ed. Which I love it. Makes it work out well for Buck so he can get in there. It's uh, And it's it's super well lit and there's no toilet yeah. in the one room in the penal yeah. colony. So where everybody's everybody's chilling on benches. It looks like it's, you know, the it looks like it's the county lockup from, you know, any show ever. Uh-huh. Um, you know, this show has some merit because it, it's sort of like pre-Terminator, like where right. a, ro- a robot chases somebody throughout an entire show right. or movie. Like, Walking like, slowly. Yeah. So <laughs> this is a precursor to all that. So it's a little ahead of its time. Right. Um, th- this robot, Hugo, is played by Walter Hunter. This is the only time he was ever in anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really didn't have fun making this, so I'm I, done. I, Which I, you, I, you can understand because most of the shoot or half of the episode was on location because they were walking around Vasquez yeah. Rocks, which is the famous, or at least that's what it looks like, the famous setting for many episodes of the original Star Trek series, Arena, Friday's yeah. Child, which had Julie Newmar in it, which we'll talk about her in a minute. Um, I bet it's hot. Don't look for Walter Hunter and anything else because he was the only time he did anything. He was probably so tired of being a robot by the end of it. Yeah, because that's it. I'm done. Or maybe he got a a job in real estate. Who knows? I don't know. In the robot applications to this, the Android, they were great. He just walked and he made a glitching noise. And then he had like a bundle of fiber and 
actual circuit boards like sticking out of the side of his head. It was it was it was that made me love it that much more. I actually liked the robot aspect to it. I did too. I liked the chase. I you know it's kind of funny when they trip him like he pushes. Buck pushes uh, him over the top of Jamie Lee Curtis. Jen Jen Burton's like on her hands and knees. They do the, oh, old, the, the, old, the old classic. Yeah. Knock somebody over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he motions to, to her to get behind him, and she knows exactly what to do. Like they've been right. doing it forever. You right. Know, everybody like, does it in the schoolyard, I guess, for the next five hundred years. Everybody knows how that yeah, works. I guess if you go if you go to prison on Zeta Minor, you learn some things. So right. so um, a couple <laughs> other things to notice. Um, is they do have this uh, stun beam ring. Oh, my God. I got to get one of those. I wish my Superman ring did that. I was wondering how that thing worked, and they just sort of quickly say, because Jamie Lee Curtis gets this thing, and she uses it on Buck to knock him out. And I, I was like, "What in the heck is she doing?" You know. The, oh, what did I? Oh, I dubbed it. I dubbed it the Brown Lantern Ring. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they, they actually make the comment. It's a stun beam ring. I'm like, naturally. Hmm. It's probably the only time that's going to ever come up. Um, of course. Another thing to note too uh, is the vehicles are uh, remakes of the Battlestar Galactica vehicle. Of course. That, that, of course. That, that Land Ram vehicle gets uh, re retooled, <laughs> and, and Just, so that. There's Took a another shell of, on it, yeah. I like the vehicles. They had two cars. They had a prison car that they drive Buck to before they take him to the elevator and take him down into the prison, which is way below the earth, right? Right. And then um, they also have a um, a station car uh, at the the station outpost there um, that's parked, and um, they're pretty cool cars. I actually like the cars. Um, I can't tell how they manufactured these cars. I don't know if it's built on like a golf cart or something. <laughs> but, but it's got to be. There you go. Yeah, but it's they're really clever, and I think that adds a nice element to it uh, beyond the costumes that they do. Uh, Buck wears something just awful in this. Uh, and, <laughs> and then Jamie Lee Curtis ends up in emerald green at some point. Uh, oh, right, like at the they, end, yeah. When they when they steal those outfits so they can you know get rid of their prison uniforms, so. I do. And Wilma never misses a beat with her. I mean, and, and I love when they get to the town, which is the their, their rendezvous spot. I just call that backlot Mexican town because that's all it is. Yeah. Um, she is wearing, a, she's dressed to the nines. And I'm like, oh, smart way to try to blend in with all the locals. But you look at all the locals, they're wearing all the same shit. They you know are. what I mean? They're all wearing that very plasticky. Everything's very bright. And you would think. In a town of ne'er do wells on a prison planet, you just don't really think people would be dressing to stand out. But it's the seventies or the twenty five seven or it's the twenty four nineties if you look at the opening uh, credits of the well, show. Pan- Pantera, um, who's the villain <laughs> in all this, is wearing like one of big these, winter coat, big winter coat. Yeah, and and I mean you could buy that off the rack now. I mean, right? I mean, it's like pretty far ahead of its time. Um, right. I don't, I don't know if these coats were selling. I just remember bigger puffy coats, right? For the, for the down jackets, but this is actually small puff which so. is wild because they're on a damn desert planet so why do you need all your it's this it's not michigan in january which is where, where he's, we're recording he's not this. sweating either so i don't quite understand how that right works, but, just turn yeah. the ac up and his uh sidekick woman is basically has lonnie anderson's hair which i thought was pretty impressive very much so very cool so very much so all right. Well, let's wind this down and ramp this one up, and we'll we'll move sure. on. We're having a good time talking about this. So, yeah, you, you hit uh, you hit a bunch of it again. We got Tweaky and his great uh, his great sides, his one liners. Life is tough. Beady beady beady. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> but the um, the the, uh, the backlot Mexican town and the android himself are great. And at the end of it, we find out all he's doing because we hear the beeping is chasing the prison bracelet that's on Jamie Lee's uh, wrist. So right. he just slaps that onto Pantera's and he takes off running. And in yeah. the firefight at the end, he like he's hobbling through Mexico town, yeah. but he still gets him. But there's a shootout and you think that the android is dead. But at the end, when they're back on Earth, Jamie Lee yeah. says, well, I saved my bracelet just as a as a souvenir or whatever. And then we're right. back in Mexican town and people are just walking by and the, the android is laid out in the square. Nobody's touching him. And you do the very painful. I'm going to say it was anywhere between five and ten seconds, like very slow zoom in on his face with his eyes closed. Zoom, zoom, zoom. And then you hear the beeping and his eyes open. And that's it. Yeah. Oh, so, you know, a setup for uh, a bit for which there will be uh, no satisfaction. <laughs> um, yeah, life yeah. continues, but they never do get to it. Yeah, I do. I just I love I love the fight scene. So in ratings uh, on the fun scale, this is this is like yeah, a like I a like seven it. for me. Definitely yeah. very high. Yeah, I'm, I'm all the way up to eight on this uh, just because it, it adds um, Jamie Lee Curtis, which uh, re- really does help that episode um they come up with some pretty clever things uh you know i I realize they're in a desert town but they're trying to keep that sci-fi element to it right Uh, you know having the uh the 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 stun beam ring or you know and they (laughs) they introduce some new weapons there's some and 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 if you watch this episode uh the guns are so big they can't get their fingers around the triggers um you know there's there's some things in there that i think um, and, and, and then the vehicles, right? Right. I just think the whole thing, it was, it's one of the more fun ones. Um, yeah, I give it an eight. Um, one last thing too, before we move on, cause I like to focus on a minor character. So I did pick another one out here. Uh, there's this Lieutenant Zimmer, Zimmerman who's played by Charles Walker. And, uh, he ends up showing up uh, again in Babylon five. Uh, oh my goodness. Yeah, he comes in as Ben. He's in season four, episode 12. Um, so minor characters, we're getting used pretty regularly for. Other yeah, I love it. And we're yeah. going to get even more of that in yeah. uh, episode three, which is actually episode three and four of the five that we're going to do yeah. is the flight of the war, Witch. Oh, oh my God. What, what an epic classic. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. So after mysterious probe lands on earth book and tweaky travel through a vortex to a convenient other universe where the peaceful inhabitants of the planet Pendar are under attack from the ruthless war witch Zarina. I feel like Zarina comes up in, in something else. It sounds yeah. very familiar. Yeah. But we do get the return uh, of the awesome Draconians, which, again, Draconian is just an awesome name. And I'm trying to figure out is pretty much most of, like, the offshoots of everything, are they are they mostly humans? Like, the Draconians, like, came, like left Earth, and then they formed an empire because they're just – exactly human and it's the same thing with the people in the other two plants we were talking about like the gun runners and stuff like everybody's human but they've all left earth or whatever i mean that's that's covered that's a longer conversation but i understand that but anyway the draconian princess is ardala oh my god uh and you said you were a senior in high school when you were watching this so i bet you were like (laughs) the outfits they wore so anyway yes ardala and the big draconian super ship follow them through the vortex in order to defeat Zarina, this must have been a sweeps week episode because uh, it was one of those. It was a big cliffhanger and all this kind of great stuff. So, Jonathan, go ahead. 
Yeah, and this is actually the end of the first season. So oh, okay, they're trying gotcha. to create that drama for the second season. So this is an important uh, couple of episodes for them. Um, there was an actor strike that sort of ruined everything oh. the next season. Uh, and then, as we know, uh, or, or if we don't know, it comes back as something else next season. Buck Rogers. Right. Yeah. Well, well, we will be talking about that yeah, we'll, in the we'll future segment. To, yeah. We'll get to that. But this Flight of the War, which is their way of sort of wrapping up um, what I would call a successful first season. I think getting to 20, you know, this is episodes 23 and 24, if you're counting them separately. Right. And um, the nice thing about this, too, is it brings in a Batman villain. Uh, character, which they did do a few of these characters in the series. So, so in looking at this, right, you talked about the plot. He's got to go to um, the planet Pendar. And one of the things we noticed right away is people are beaming in and out of Pendar, kind of like Star Trek. I know. And it's actually a lot like um, uh, in the, you know, we were talking about early early uh, episodes of, of the original series, uh, the episode where we have um, the Organians, which when we're first introduced to the Klingons, uh, were the same thing. They were kind of people who lived beyond time. They beamed in and out of places. They had kind of the same outfits. These guys also had like the one council leader had a glow behind his head, like a portrait of Jesus. You know what I mean? Uh, which was very much like the Organians because they were super beings. But this episode, in addition to having Julie Newmar, who's Catwoman, but she was also uh, in an episode of TOS called Friday's Child, where she was this pregnant woman that Kirk uh, and Spock and McCoy had to try to save because they were on the run. You, you, I'm sure you've seen the episode I'm talking about. But you get um, returning uh, actor Michael Ansara, who was Kor, the Klingon, one of the main Klingons that we see not only right. in, the, in the original Star Trek right. series. He was one of the Please. last ones we saw. It was from season Please three. Kane. Yes, yeah. Yeah, Kang. Sorry, yeah. Kor was the... My, was, uh, um, the first one we saw in that episode I mentioned, but then you actually get a return of both core and Kang in Star Trek deep space nine and right. Kang makes an appearance in an episode of Star Trek Voyager in a flashback sequence. So yeah, a lot of good overlap here for some of these characters. And, um, there, there is, um, a new character that's introduced. His name is Tony Carroll. He comes in as Panther man. Um, and this is trying to build off of the success of tiger man who was actually from the original movie and then was in some of the early episodes. He actually got killed off, uh, but then they brought him back by some miracle of, you know, movie television magic. Uh, he's right. And, because he was a very popular character. Um, so Tiger Man um, is not available. They make reference to him in this episode. Uh, he's, he's been reassigned. Yeah. Oh, but of course. So then they introduce this new character, Panther Man. Uh, who's a rather large, gigantic, uh, but, you know, sort of a beefcake uh, kind of character for Princess Artala. Right. She, she, she's totally into men. Um, you know, <laughs> totally. I, 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 um, I like Pamela Hensley. I, I think that um, she really adds a lot to the episodes that she's in. Um, she is a love interest for Buck. <laughs> You know? Sorta, kind yeah, of, yes. He, he, he's kind of into her. You they're know? very, they're very Sam and Diane. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I think he likes the attention, and I think you know she's sort of head over heels for him. I, she adds kind of a fun element to the to these episodes whenever she's in them, um, and she plays this sort of spoiled bratty princess kid. You know, um, right? And, and I, I like that. So. So she, there's a new character that comes in uh, along with some of these old ones. Um, and then uh, you talked about Julie Newmar. 
who I think just looks gorgeous in this. She's got to right. be in her late forties, but she's, oh my god, she's, magnificent! She's, yeah, but she's she's kept herself uh, up well, and I think she plays a very good villain. Uh, she's she's totally into her role. Uh, so I think you know, in watching this, it, it's it's kind of fun to watch what uh, what happens in this episode. A couple of things that sort of stick out to me <clears throat> is that um, the keeper, right, this guy. He beams in and out, but then also these other people uh, that are on this council beam in and out. So this is everybody can do this, um, right? Which is kind of fun. I don't see them going to a transporter; they just sort of do it on their own. Which is it's funny if you follow Star Trek Discovery in its current season. They they've jumped into the thirty second century, so twenty fifth century versus thirty second century. That's a technology that that the Federation and Starfleet has now. Is that everybody wears a badge that's its own transporter, right? It's its own transporter. Yeah. It also makes a tricorder, and it, you can it makes a phaser appear in your hand. I got to have one of these things. Yeah. I have a dummy one for costumes, but it doesn't work. Kind yeah, of I, I don't see them doing anything other than saying goodbye and then suddenly they disappear, you know, right. or they sort of pop in when they want to. So it seems to be something they can control. I don't ever see any kind of equipment involved in it. So it's kind of interesting that these uh, alien life forms in this alternate universe have the capacity to teleport and it looks like Star Trek beaming, <laughs> you know. Right. So that's something that uh, um, I think adds a nice element to this episode that we haven't seen before. Um, they, they do reuse a vehicle, uh, a very popular vehicle, which is the Land Ram, which came from Battlestar Galactica. Right, again. In nice. The beginning, in the very beginning, they ride in on it, and then it's a, it's a shuttle, um, and it's a Land Rover, I think, is kind of what they call it when they start to market it to kids, because they actually did a Buck Rogers Land Rover. Right. Uh, and they travel out to this orb, which apparently... Um, is just a solid object and it's rather large, but you can see there's a scene in it, you know. <laughs> and they land, they land it right in front of Vasquez Rock, so I just expect yeah. Kirk and Spock to be like, what's going on over here? <laughs> and then out of it comes a smaller orb, which somehow they magically open and find this microchip, and then they right. use that to propel uh, Buck through uh, to the other side. Uh, so right. He does get there. So, so that's some new ways of moving people around uh, in the series. I think, you know, uh, it's kind of fun. Uh, you know, I think this is a good episode. If you kind of like the old style villain, I'm going to end the world kind of. Right, exactly. And uh, they have some some battle cruisers in there that are pretty fun to look at. Right. I like. Yeah, I like that. And I love that the shield that's around Pendar is very like, oh, because that's, uh -huh. that's the big spoiler alert. The big, you know. Dano Ma, the big end piece where, you know, they trick the war witch into, because it, obviously the big piece of the end of this is tricking the war witch into attacking the planet, but they drop the shield and then they're going to turn the shield on. So it's like catching your hand in the car door. Bam! That's how we're going to get her, you know, and they do at the end, you see the yeah. ship blow up and it's yeah. just very, it's he's there with Spyrot, I guess, who's uh, Sid Haig and he's, he's her henchman and he's driving the, the battle cruiser and she's like turn turn you know they're not going to turn yeah and no way was closed so and they never really show the ship explode i mean you just get the impression bad things are going to happen right you get the little little electrical effects and then they go but you don't get the 
huge explosion yeah. noise. So. so for a two-part episode, it sort of just stays on track. There's some interesting characters in there. Um, some of the tech in there is pretty low tech, though. Like when they're trying to <laughs> so big time, all the VFX of them going through. It just it reminded me of Star Trek: The Motion Picture, which we're going to yeah. be talking about on Code Forty Seven in a couple of weeks here, with the fly-throughs and the different kind of chroma key stuff, and just very pre. Stuff that start, you know, like George Lucas would and, and ILM wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. You know what I mean? Just very low rent. They got it from, you know, Jim Smith in the Valley who's like, I can figure this out. And <laughs> that's what they ended up with. It looks like old stereo equipment that they bought at a secondhand shop that, you know, because um, it's all dials. And it's all, it's just like some of the tech sometimes they're trying to make it look like we're way into the future, but they, they don't have enough tech to make it look good. Oh it, my gosh. It's, it's like push button stuff, like old calculators and, and stuff. I remember growing up with as a kid, they just sort of, it was high tech. They the, put the, it into a control panel and they call it high tech, but it's the, nothing, nothing like it, what we have today. Pop it calculator. You yeah. can put eight double O five and turn upside down and it says yeah. boobs. So yeah, if they had just come up with one smartphone or something. It would have been a much better series. But, yeah. <laughs> right. Like how Star Trek gave us, you know, I know. iPads and they gave us Google glass yeah. and they gave us, you know, flip phone yeah. communicators. Oh, uh, well, I have several, several notes, but you hit some, I mean, some of it is pretty uh, minutia. So I won't, I won't dig in, uh, too much but they threw in like a robot and it's funny because one of the episodes when i told todd my partner that we were doing all this and particularly with the the final episode we're going to cover he was like sharing stuff and they put in a um a snarky robot to be kind of a foil to tweaky and it was like his lines were so corny he should have been in the star wars holiday special it was so bad they had jokes that went nowhere yeah Um, they didn't land they went out the window (laughs) Well, when, when, when Tweaky just when they first arrive uh, in Pantera, uh, Tweaky is they they meet this character. Um, her name is uh, um, Char. Char, Char, Char uh, I, I wrote Char, but Char Charrell or something. It's Chandra. Like Chandra, yeah, yeah. played by Kelly Miles, who is actually the daughter of Vera Miles, who plays Tora. I mean, this is this is mother oh. and daughter in this show. Oh boy, they play gotcha. mother and daughter in this show. Um, but yeah, so he, he asks her, and this is one of these jokes that go nowhere. Tweaky, when he arrives, he asks, he says, um, if there's a ping pool around here. Oh, anywhere. I wrote that too. It's like, like, bro, come, come on. on. Now. Yeah, and, and, and nobody laughs. There's no humor there. It's just right. No. It's they, like, they, need, they needed a studio audience with the applause and the laugh. Or somebody with, with cue cards. What the heck is ping pool? It's exactly. You will you will never know. I'll bet it's not revisited in season two. Um, there is a uh, a really the Oscar goes to scene between Buck and Wilma when he is leaving Earth to fly through the vortex Aww. into the other universe. And it was she gives this long speech and she's like, blah, blah, blah. You made me a woman and this and that. I'm like, are they just going to drop down on the deck and have a little like, you know what, for good luck? Uh, it was just it was. And it went on for, I swear, two minutes where she's yeah. just monologuing and Buck's like, giving her no well i think you're pretty special too wilma as a friend (laughs) it was like yeah she was like she was about to strip off she was about to strip off that purple outfit or whatever whatever 
thing I, gorgeous, I, by the way. I read yeah, somewhere yeah. that most of her outfits she was sewn into because they were so skin tight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Wilma, God, even in the pilot episode, they they shared a smooch, but she was always so uptight. But yeah, never, Buck, you know, yeah. made her a woman and blah, blah, blah. But they just never, it was very. It to a whole new level. It's yeah. kind of like setting up season two. Yeah. Um, yeah, she became less of a, you know, um, Ballsy, uh, I think ballsy yeah. word they use a, a ballsy right. admiral, and she's become more of a sensitive woman around Buck. Right? I don't know. That doesn't really make it for me in the series. I kind of, right. you know, it's, she, it, it's, it's very, it's, it's very seventies. I think, yeah, yeah it's, it's very it's, like, oh, you just need a good man to make you feel like a woman or whatever. It's it like, was, come on now. It was dramatic, but it was somewhat unexpected. I mean, I didn't expect her to tear up and like, oh, I'm right. gonna miss you. You're gonna die going through the vortex, kind of thing. And right, and Buck is like, yeah, yeah, right. We're not going ring shopping yet. You know, right. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Yeah, exactly. And then we we catch all the stuff with the princess. I wrote one note. I love the the scenes with her and Julie Newmar because they're they're having like the 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 resting bitch face competition, and it looks like the princess is drinking Kool Aid because she got this red beverage. I just made a weird note, but yeah, yeah. I wrote Catwoman versus the princess. Catwoman's just having absolutely none of it, and I love it. Anytime someone grabs the princess to lead her away, like they grab her by the arm, she whips her head backwards, like she doesn't know how. She doesn't know how to do anything to walk. And then she gets led back into the place where she and Buck are being held after this meeting with Catwoman. Uh-huh. And she's got, I wrote the worst poker face of all. Buck, I'm fine. I'm fine. Buck, I'm not fine. I'm, I'm fine. just <laughs> terrible. And she got, oh, moving. oh, my God. She is just, talk about, you know, get her a knife and a fork. She is chewing that scenery. It's very well, impressive. One thing that you you should watch for though is um, Princess Ardala in the orange outfit. That oh orange God. outfit. Oh, with the big with the big hard that plastic. A, that's a killer. It's off the shoulder. It's, it's oh one my of God. her better outfits in the series. And oh you know, they, they want her to look sexy, and they certainly pulled it off there. They pulled it off. So anyway, um, this is a you know I'm going to pull a in another universe which is where I'll give my rating. This is like an eight or a nine for me. This was great. It's the classic two-parter, high stakes, big, um, big sciencey adventure, you know, discount the fact that, you know, the effects are, are terrible. They're, they're worse than TV budget should allow for even the original star Trek, which predated it by 10 years where they're doing stuff with foam rocks and whatever looked better than this. But I love the story. You know, I'm going to evaluate this a little bit more. Todd and I had this conversation. We were talking about uh, avatar two, which just came out, which I just like, I can't stand the plot, but the story of it was fantastic uh, as far as what you were seeing. So I would almost flip it. The overall story of this, less the execution. This is an an eight or a nine for me. I think they did something great. I'm going to say on the higher side, um, I think a nine. Uh, They they put a lot of elements into it. Uh, One of the things that sticks out, too, is the amount of uh, the different types of weapons uh, that they they have in this one, too. They, They really tried, I think, to make this one. Uh, a cliffhanger and make it so you would want to watch the second season. I right. think they accomplished that. I think that, you know, at the end of this, I don't remember watching this when I was a kid, but I think it, I probably did. Um, and in, in, in remembering it, I would think that it was setting me up for the next season. And I think that it did that. So, right. 
Gotcha. Which is, it's funny. And we'll talk about it in a future installment of, of this Patreon segment about season two, but yeah, this was, this was great. All right. We're going to wrap it up with, and you know, because it was a two-parter, we did technically four episodes instead of five. Um, But number five is the space vampire. Oh my God. What a classic. Uh, Buck and Wilma arrive at uh, Theta station or Theta as the Brits would say to have tweaky service, but uh, soon a freighter crashes into the space station. Whoops. Uh, The freighter crew are found in a state between life and death believing a virus might be responsible commander royko who's commander of the station orders the base under quarantine soon enough wilma feels a cold evil presence stalking her and several station crew begin turning up half dead and and all the people on the ship as well who they crashed into him uh bucklers at the source of said deaths is the vorvan which i typed vorgon in my notes because that was uh that was a star trek alien <laughs> a space vampire which is also a star trek alien the uh, that sucked salt. It was actually the first episode ever aired, The Man Trap, in 19th September of 66. A space vampire that can drain life energy from his victims and turn them into zombies, of course. However, only Buck is convinced that the Vorvan exists and plans on, and that he is, the Vorvan is planning on making Wilma his next victim. No! Jonathan, talk to me. Well, I, uh, um, I found this one to be, it's like they, they were trying to hit another genre. Right. right. You know, vampires are always associated with horror films. And and I think they were trying uh, an experiment. Um, I don't know if the experiment worked. This is not one of my favorite episodes. I found it a little weird at times. I Very mean, much so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Vorvan um, as a character, I think, was convincing uh, as to wanting to be a, a vampire. You know, I think he came across that way. Um, but I don't know. I, I just feel like this this particular episode. I mean, there's some there's some fun things about it that stick out to me. Um, one thing that sticks out to me is Commander Royko, played by Christopher Stone. Um, I thought he did a bang up job. Um, I kind of I researched him. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away kind of young. Oh no! Oh, yeah, that's awesome. I was sort of surprised by that because uh, I kind of looked to see what other things did he do. So uh, he was sorely missed. I thought he did a good job. Um, yeah, I liked him with his with his little seventies mustache looking kind of scene. Could yeah. have been, could have, could could have, you know, uh, gone over to the uh, San Fernando Valley and started some adult films with that with that mustache. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so our usual Tweaky was actually played by a woman this time. What? Oh, the actual the the body uh, of Tweaky. The character yeah. inside there, yeah, Patty Maloney. Um, oh, okay. Who, who played a, a different robot um, in another episode. Uh, and I'm not going to talk too much about that because maybe we'll do that episode at a Ooh. future time. But played a female robot in another episode. Um, she ended up playing Tweaky in this one. Um, oh, gotcha. So, so yeah. obviously the uh, it was, it was, it was Felix, uh, what was his name? Felix Silva? Silva. Yeah. Silva was, was, you know, he was on vacation or some such. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the circumstances. But anyway, he was uh, he was not around for this. Mel Blanc, uh, of course, did the voice. Uh, but I thought that this one, um, I mean, it had some high points uh, in the show. But overall, you know, um, let's let's sort of flip the script. Um, why don't you kind of tell me some more about what you thought about this one? Just because oh my goodness, I can tell you were pretty excited about this one. So I was, you know, and this was the one that when I was when I was ta- I was uh, I finished watching this. I was on the road this week. I was in a hotel, so I was watching this on the the hotel TV with my Roku, and I was talking to Extra while I was doing, it, and he was like, "Oh my god, that's a classic," yeah. um, which, which is funny because Todd, my my podcasting partner and, and the guy I launched this network with, is he's sometimes so very serious about things. He he watches, but he also has what he calls 
dumb fun. Um, and I think this really falls in the category. And Todd is also, uh, and I speak about him with love because we've been best friends for 30 years, but he's also steadfastly not, um, not very, God, what's the word I'm looking for? He's not very, um, it'll come back to me. He's he, not very nostalgic, doesn't really do nostalgia, but his love of this episode seemed very nostalgic. So I could tell like you, he, and he's my age, so he's a, a bit younger than yourself. So we were, we were kids when this, I was two years old when this was on. So I watched it in obvious syndication reruns in the early 1980s. Um, but I was more Battlestar Galactica where he was more about this, but you're right. This was, this is fun. Ton, you know, tons of, you know, fun little tropes. Um, you've got, um, obviously both the commander who's not, you know, Buck's telling him about vampires. Nobody knows what a vampire is. So Buck's like, well, you know, blah, 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 vampire is sucking yeah. energy, this thing and that thing. And the commander's like, bro, it's just, it's not going down like that. Right. Um, you know, I love things like they have a vampire repellent instead of a cross. It's right. a big, shiny medallion because this is the 70s you know i love that that's what the original star trek did a great slash not great job being somewhat lack of timelessness because a lot of stuff looked like the 60s early in star trek the next generation they kind of had an 80s vibe but they got a little bit you know less less like that as you got into the the later shows in the 90s and stuff where things seemed a little bit more timeless but yeah this was 100 percent uh, of uh, of a product of his time, you know, Wilma was just acting the shit out of everything she did in this episode. Yeah, she was and, being and, terrified, and then when you saw right. was when you saw what she was seeing, the lights would get red, and she would just be like, <laughs> she was like, she was like Shaggy from Scooby Doo, right. you know. <laughs> and I I I love too the vampire himself had an awesome like rock opera theme music you thought would have been produced by meatloaf with the the screeching guitar oh my god yeah this was um if you could takeaways yeah if you talk about wilma all right so a couple things about wilma too right she's still blonde at this point um one of the things to, to note is that the hair color eventually changes to brunette which is something they fought over during the series she wanted oh my gosh okay she wanted to be a brunette um you know she wanted to be taken more seriously and the producers are like no our, our Dala is going to be the brunette. You're going to be the blonde. And there can never be two. That was a huge issue. Uh, and eventually she won out and ended up being a brunette. Uh, I think she was totally brunette by the time we got to the War Witch episode. Um, but, and, and in season two, she's nothing but brunette. But yeah, she's still a blonde at this point. And then the other thing, too, is you talked about her acting and, and fighting with this vampire. And one of the things to note, there's a... Um, I, 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 I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it too, but there's this goof in there. And if I remember right, um, the vampire is wearing a wristwatch. <laughs> that reminds me of a bit is a great Simpsons bit where Homer is watching something on TV and it's, they're filming a Bigfoot special and the guy's yeah. walking and say, hold on, Bob cut. We can see your wristwatch. Ah, oh, damn it. Uh-huh. So, so anyway, I guess time is really important to this vampire who usually vampires are timeless. They don't really worry about time because they're just going to live forever, but this guy's got to watch. So I guess he's keeping track of time. Um, that's a, that sort of stuck out to me. Um, but I, I, I think it's a good it's not one of my top episodes i give it like a seven yeah yeah you know even uh, judging it but, judging it on the scale of, of I that think yeah you're a little bit above that because i think you really enjoyed this episode more than i did i found I mean, it you know it's a bit campy uh, yeah which comes through a lot of these episodes 
I thought that it was just like, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, vampires are always hot. We'll just do a vampire episode. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. you're right. It's falling back on the trope. It's kind of like the uh, there's a great sitcom in the early 90s that didn't make it on Fox called The Ben Stiller Show. Obviously, it was a variety show. And one of the sketches was Stiller's Wheel of Filler. And it was one of these you spin the wheel and you get like a various plot line or thoughts of the dartboard. So imagine the Buck Rogers dartboard. It was, you know, it was, you know, uh, space western, uh, other universe. Space vampire. And, yeah. you know, somebody, and this was, this yeah. was mid, kind of mid season or maybe break. early. Yeah. 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 Prison yeah. break. There's another one. Yeah, right. Exactly. They're trying to keep it fresh. I think they had a really good variety throughout the first season. I think Agreed. they tried really hard. I know they had some issues with, like, Gil Gerard was really hard to work with. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know. I don't know much about yeah, him at all because you don't see him in anything else. I can't well, think of him in anything else. You know, they they wanted to make it a fun, funny adventure type of program, and Gil wanted it to be a serious, uh, <laughs> you know. And they did ended up going there in the second season. He sort of right. won. he wanted more serious scripts. He didn't want to be, you know, um, cracking jokes. He wanted to be literally doing things that meant something to people like ecology or like like star trek like captain kirk he wanted to be captain kirk he wanted to go in that direction he wanted to be taken more seriously but how do you take a guy seriously who wears basically a shirt cut down to his navel (laughs) got to yeah he's always got to be showing off that big bushy chest yeah yeah. and then in the second season which we'll talk about later i don't think he's wearing much of a shirt at all i mean it just becomes (laughs) it becomes more about skin oh my god so so i don't know if he ever really got taken i don't take him seriously in this that's a good Um, that's a good plan (laughs) and, and every episode ends with him laughing have you ever noticed this it's always cut to and it's the it's the yeah. laugh pause right like it yeah. like at the end of every episode of the the old filmation cartoon he-man which was really big when i was a kid it was just a ha, 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 yeah kind it's of a like, cackle it's, it's like that they'll crack a right. joke or something funny or maybe they'll just make him laugh for some right. unknown reason yeah. And then they'll have the playful interstitial music. Do, 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 do. Oh, my God. All right. Yes, I will rate this one pretty highly on a fun factor uh, just because it's so. schmaltz. I, you yeah, I'll, I'll enjoy this one more than I did. I, I'll, uh, t- I'll toss her like an 8.5. Yeah, I think I, that that's pretty cool. Yeah, I felt like I was toughing it out. I, I'm barely above a 7. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Well, I mean, let's face it. In, in You know, as we start to wind things down here, we – got an enjoyment out of every one of these episodes. And I really, I thank you not only for joining me for this and kind of taking the lead as someone who had a little bit more firsthand experience and you did great research. I was pretty happy about that, <clears throat> but um, we really, we enjoyed the ones we picked and we're able to really look at it through not explicitly a creative lens or a, or a critical lens, I should say, but just being able to enjoy it overall, which I think is pretty important. Well, so. I think people that are familiar with the series uh, will enjoy our discussion. And I think if you're new to the Buck Rogers uh, uh, for that time period, because they did at different times, uh, they did series for Buck Rogers. I mean, it goes, right. back, it goes way back to radio days. Right. Uh, yeah. The twenties. Right. 20s, right. Uh, but I think this one has some value. I think people should check it out. It's on Tubi right now. Yes, yeah, that's what I was going to mention. You can watch it for free on Tubi. Yeah, Tubi, T-U-B-I. If you want to download the app, you can watch all of the episodes. Yeah. The uh, the second season, which is a big departure from the first right, season. which we will be uh, Jonathan and I will be <clears throat> putting our heads together and recording that for a future segment. 
of this show, which again, everybody, thank you for joining us. Uh, and this show is one of the vanguard of our new Patreon uh, offerings. Obviously, you've already signed up. Thank you very much for your support. Couldn't yeah. do it without you. Charlie, um, thanks but, for having me in, too. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. Jonathan, before we go, I know you're not a huge social media guy, but is there a spot out there that somebody can find you if they want to interact with you? I know you're I know you're a college professor, so you probably tried to stay a little under the radar, but is there any way yeah. that people can find you? Yeah, LinkedIn. You just put me in. Uh, it's uh, under John. Jonathan Snedeker. You can find me on LinkedIn and you can hit me up that way because uh, I go. with my students too. You know. Gotcha. Very good. This could be a great, this could be a great uh, uh, of a class that you teach. We could come in and I could be your guest. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about Buck Rogers. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, you can find me, as I say, always over on Twitter at the C3. Go ahead and spell it out. Uh, my lovely wife and I run the USS Grand Petoskey, of which Jonathan is also a member uh, of the International one of the biggest chapters uh, of the International Star Trek Fan Club in the world. We're based here in West Michigan, but we do have chapter uh, we do have chapter members uh, all over Michigan and actually uh, all over the country, as it turns out. So, would love to have you join us. Find us at that website name and at social media all across. So, with that, Jonathan, thank you again. Thank you. It was fun being and here. You bet, friends. I will sign off by telling you that sharing is caring, and keep on trucking. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye, Patreon.